You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of 2, 5, and 10, episode 96, accompanied, as always, by my co-star and co-host, Benjamin Matthew Stewart. Ma- Benjamin? Congratulations to the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers and your boys, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski. How does it feel? It feels great. Um, it looked like Tom got a little bundled at the parade there, and um, <laughs> for for filthy. me, for me, I thought it was good just because it's nice seeing the personality side of it. You know, it looks like he gets to show a little bit more personality down in Tampa. Um, I did laugh after when he wrote on Twitter that there was too much uh, avocado tequila. That was what really uh, brought him <laughs> down. So, hats off to the uh, the boys down south there. And of course, keeping our tra- the tradition, episode ninety six. The retro Pavel Bore episode number 96 when he came back. Oh, that's right. All right. Um, but, yeah, so it's been a little bit of a gap since our last recording. A bunch of things have happened. Uh, big news out of Pittsburgh, COVID shit, um, which we knew was going to happen. But the way it happened is kind of like a, a big-time issue with the league. Um, some line A stuff, and then we'll get into the Bruins and Rangers who played this week against each other. So that kind of helps uh, make week in review more efficient. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I can let you talk about most of the week in review, and then I'll say whatever Ben said, our guys played really good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I apologize for the delay on everything, everybody. I spent a lot of time in a plow truck this week at work. So, yeah, that's all on me. That's not Benny. So if you guys hate Benny, you don't have to. You can hate me this week. So I, I will gladly they take hate that. hate me anyway because I'm a Rangers fan. That's true. But, I mean, that, <laughs> I mean, some things you're born into. You know, you can't help it. That's all. So we'll start talk about hating, okay, the Penguins. Both of us can agree to that. We dislike the Penguins. Um, when we're doing our season preview, we are talking about how there's some holes in the Penguins roster, and they just keep going from quick fix to quick fix. They're basically selling out their future assets. They keep this window going, and they start off okay. Um, but apparently, so Rutherford resigned. He was basically almost forced to resign out of principle. Um, so he leaves after winning two Stanley Cups with the Penguins. And it basically boiled down to a disagreement with ownership over the future of a Chris Letang uh, with the Penguins. So I wanted to get your thoughts on, one, Rutherford's impact with the team, obviously the two cups. Uh, Two, where you fall in that disagreement with ownership and Rutherford. And three, with the new hirings coming in this week, are they set up at all to keep this window open and also balance the future? Well, the the whole Rutherford thing, like we touched on it last time, um, you know, there was a trade that was already in place for Chris Letang. Ownership knocked it down. Uh, Rutherford, right after that, ends up resigning. I stand with Rutherford because I think that as the GM of the team, you are supposed to make these decisions. And if that is your job, which is hiring and firing personnel, uh, trading players, drafting prospects. I figure that is in your right. So if you want to trade Chris Letang, I think that is your option and your ability to do so. Uh, That is why management pays you to do that job. So as for management not liking that, I mean, I don't really blame Jim Rutherford there for all that. Yeah. Uh, Jim Rutherford and the two cups. I mean, every time, every season, he's always very active at the deadline. He, He wants to improve the team. He always wants them to make a run. I think as an owner, that is something you want. You you want your GM to give you a better chance of winning a Stanley Cup. 
with that, I mean, we did talk about how he has kind of depleted the assets a little bit for them, which is tough because they're in a awkward state right now, which the Pittsburgh Penguins aren't really used to. Going forward now to the hiring of Ron Hextall as the GM and Brian Burke as the president of hockey operations, I love Brian Burke. I do. Um, Brian Burke, I, I said it last podcast, that in his book, he said he said this in every interview he's gone to for a GM interview. There's two hands on the steering wheel. They're both mine. <laughs> so I find it strange that he is the higher here because if Jim Rutherford did end up leaving because of this Latang deal that was then axed by man- management, either A, that's not true, or B, they're now putting their future in Brian Burke's hands and saying, you know, this is what we want you to do. As for Ron Hextall along with it, I mean, you can look at both of the teams that Ron and Brian have built, and I mean, they're tough teams to play against. So with that, you're going to have, you know, Malkin and Crosby in your top six, and then your bottom six is going to be some bigger guys that are going to play a heavier game. And in the NHL, this has proved to win Stanley Cups. Like, we can look at Tampa Bay last year. They had to bring in Coleman. They had to bring in Maroon. They Goudreau. Like, they needed to bring in these guys so they could wear guys down and then their top line can still produce. Or, I mean, they could be like that. the bottom six who produce for them while being effectively a checking line or a checking role, a defensive role. And I find it hard for these guys to come in here in a shortened season alone. I mean, the trade deadline is not very far away. So they're going to have to come in rather quickly here and figure out exactly whatever their game plan is and to implement it and then start looking towards the future. I have already heard that Evgeny Malkin will possibly be moved because next year he is one year left on his deal and then he's UFA. Same with Latang. Same with Latang. It is already rumored that Malkin does not want to go back to Pittsburgh. And with that, I mean, you have to trade the asset now before next year where you won't get as much for him because you would get a lot more for him with a year left on his deal. Yeah, I mean, naturally, you'd probably get more in a vacuum because you'd get two playoff runs out of a guy like Malkin versus one if you get him at next year's deadline or over the summer. But two factors there is if they – I don't think the Penguins' ownership and senior management team – because Lemieux is pretty hands-off. I know he's the face of the ownership group. The other guy writes the checks. But I think the team president uh, on the business side of it was kind of the one that was the intermediary. I highly doubt they thought Rutherford would go, fuck you, I'm out. And then they got a lot of blowback around the league for – a guy like Rutherford, say what you want about his team building for the future, but if you're looking to win the Stanley Cup today, Rutherford's a pretty good option. If you're just like, fuck the future, we need to end the drought. Like, you bring a guy like Rutherford in and deal with the consequences later. Yeah. So I think him walking out the door and the PR blowback and everything kind of startled Lemieux into action again. And this has Lemieux written all over it because you bring in a hated former player, Ron Hextall, who... He's more of a future-oriented guy. You saw how he rebuilt the flyer system. Mm-hmm. A lot of the success they have now is from his drafts and uh, prospect trades. But you mesh him with a guy like Burke, who has absolutely no problem being the face of whatever organization he's at. And that's not Hextall's strength. He's a Even in L.A., they were saying... You just want to be left alone, let him do his thing. And it kind of rubbed people the wrong way in L.A. and Philly with his aloofness. So if you have him just behind the scenes getting his shit done, and then you have Burke being the face to the media, uh, being the intermediary between Hextall and Lemieux and uh, the executive team, I think that's why they kind of brought those two in together. My only issue is Berkey is old school, like you said. I don't think he's looking at it as like, okay, we have a five-year plan. I think he's looking at it to kind of continue what Rutherford was doing and kind of help with that point of view with Hextall, because we were talking about this throughout the week. There's 
I can't see any way that Ron Hextall signs off on giving a long-term extension for big money to Chris Letang. And if you let Rutherford out the door over Chris Letang, and now you're willing to let his replacement trade or let Letang walk out the door, then what were you doing in the first place? Yeah, agreed. So I knew I knew at some point they were going to have Rutherford was going to have to go. Like it's the it's how hockey works. Your window closes. And now you have to rebuild, and Rutherford isn't a rebuilding GM. So that was going to happen eventually at some point. I just thought it was going to be two summers from now when contracts are up and things are getting reshuffled. When it comes to Malkin, the only thing I think is working against trading him is, again, it's a Latang thing, where if they weren't willing to trade Latang, how are they going to trade Malkin unless Malkin demands out? But two, who's going to take on the real-world money? On that, with COVID and a salary cap, like who has the space, salary cap wise, and who has the ownership that's willing to spend that money, like real world money, to bring in Malkin and give up assets to do so? Because Pittsburgh isn't going to give up a franchise icon from pennies on a dollar because of a pandemic. So I think that's working against them, unless Malkin just refuses to ever come back, because the next two years. He's getting four and a half mil each year as the actual salary, but he's still getting a big time cap hit. I'm looking at it right now. They're D end. And so they currently have, I know he's on long-term IR. They have Marcus Peterson. They have Latang. Marino, baby. They have Matheson. They gave Marino that huge extension. They got Pierre uh, Olivier Joseph, who seems to be coming in. It looks really good. A top uh, six guy. A, a top six guy. So it's like, if you're transitioning to a younger thing, like younger players, why hold on to Chris Letang for, or why try to renegotiate? He's making seven and a quarter this year and next year on the books. So with that, it's like, all right, at next year you go to renegotiate an extension with him. If he comes in, I, well, I want to stay at my salary. I mean, he's going to be 35 fucking years old. Well, okay. He's going to be 36 when his deal's up. And so it's like, okay, do you want four and a quarter? Let, like, l- let's market it accordingly. Like, if you want to stay here, Chris, that's fine. But don't think at 35 years old, you're making max fucking money. Like, and I think Jim Rutherford looked at it the right way in that sense of moving the asset while you can still get something for it. Like, at the end of the day, this is still a business. And if Jim Rutherford, the guy who's always trying to be active at the trade deadline to make the team better, like, I have no question in my mind he was shipping out Chris Letang and bringing in something to make the team better. Like, yeah. I don't know. To help keep that window open. The other thing is the goaltending. I know they took a big... Matt Murray wasn't great the last two years. And they were like, we're going to go with the young kids to see if some uh, cap room for improving the roster elsewhere. They have not played well to start the year. And I know it's only a 56-game season. They've only played about 13 or 14 games. But both goaltenders, Casey DeSmith and Trishan Jari, have a sub-8-6 Goals against average. I mean, uh, save percentage. Like, they're not getting it done. There was rumors that the Penguins, I don't know if it was before Rutherford left or once Hextall came in that they called Vegas to inquire about bringing Flurry back. So, I think, on paper, it's like two different team-building philosophies with Hextall and Burke, but I think it's just more of the same for the organization in Pittsburgh where... They're trying to keep this window open and also not just completely collapse as a franchise two years from now when Malkin's potentially gone, Latang's probably gone. Crosby's still going to be there, but he's going to be 35, 36, 37. Like, you can't bank on him to be a top three player in the league anymore. And there's, you have some nice complimentary pieces right now, but they're going to start getting expensive. And they're also, they're not team guys you build your team around like you don't build your team around Zucker or uh rust or guys like that so they're kind of at a crossroads so if i'm them maximize if i'm hexal i mean i just wait this year out i make some improvements around the edges of the roster this summer i really put up my mark on the team and go for it next year go for broke and then like columbus did when panarin was going to be a free agent Bobrovsky, just go for it and then see what happens See, I think this year for them is already a loss. I don't see them making the playoffs in that division. With that being said, I mean, I think Colton, 
uh, how do you say his last name? Siever? Siever? Uh, Siever, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's gone. Cody CeCe's gone. Like, these guys will be dealt at the deadline. So they're Cody already... Cece, another guy being run out of town, huh? They, they, <laughs> they're just already going to be in a rebuilding mode. And I think they have to. Um, I think Kapanen has gone in there and he's played very well for them, which is good. I do think Brian Rust is going to be on the trade block. I think they're going to try to get rid of him. Uh, Brandon Tanev, I know Berkey's a big fan of him. I think he stays... A little overpaid. A little overpaid, but for the role that he plays of kind of a shutdown guy, I think that's good. I I would say Berkey would try to get rid of Zucker, but he has that no-movement clause, a, a partial no-movement. Yeah. And then... The, per- the one guy who does not have it and is one of their top guys there is, is Jake Gensel. Mm. Do they or do they not try to move him? Personally, I like Jake. I think he's a good player. I would not try to move him. But if they're stuck with Tanev and Zucker on those limited no-movement clauses, they might have to look towards him. Yeah, I mean, he had that one big 40-goal year, but he's kind of settled into a 20-23-goal a year guy and that's playing with Crosby. So if you if I'm another team and I'm going to take on Gensel and he has a decent contract moving forward. Six mil, yeah, for another four. Like do I want to sink six mil into a guy who might turn out to be another uh oh my god Matt Molson? Oh no, you don't want that. You know what I mean? So that's the rest there. I think he, they're stuck I think those are their I think Gensel and Zucker are in their top six on the left side for the foreseeable future. Crosby's going to be there. I don't know. I feel like you don't... I mean, this is Pittsburgh we're talking about, so who knows? Maybe the year after uh, Crosby retires, they'll win a lottery and get the next big-time franchise forward like they did after Lemieux. Yeah, it'll be rigged again. Yeah, but you don't get too many windows when you have franchise centermen on the par of Malkin and Crosby in your top six. So even if the guys around them are underperforming a little bit, I just it would be almost like a what if if they just made one more good run of it. And if you were making one more good run of it, Rutherford's that guy. And like you said, he wasn't trading Latang for the future. So he had to have a deal in place that he thought was going to help this team as well and also sell high on a guy who is going to be approaching free agency. Not, he wasn't going to keep long-term, most likely. And he's injury-prone. So... And, and the Pittsburgh only... backed themselves into a corner. I like the Hextall hire. I like Berkey being back in. But I don't know if it, they're going to mesh too well or what the direction the team's going to be starting this summer. I think the only one other thing, too, the hard part for them trying to move Malkin if they go that way is they don't have anyone that can jump into that 2C role. Like, they, mm-hmm. like you got Crosby and Malkin there as your two centers. And then after that, it drops off I know they significantly. Like McCann, but you move him back to center from wing. They I got rid of Bustad, I, I think like, that's a tough transition to go back to it after. Like yeah. I know some guys, like Charlie Coyle, for example, like he could not play the wing. Like he was just not built that way to kind of sit back. So he was better as a center. Can McCann go back to doing that? I don't know. So like yeah. that's that's tough because after McCann, you have Bluger and Sam Lafferty, and then Jankowski. That's a significant drop-off from fucking Malkin. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah. I mean, and also just for shits and giggles, if you're looking at the league, saying, disregarding the real-world money, it's a $9.5 million cap hit. So you're looking for a team that's, even with the stagnant cap, towards the bottom of the floor, who thinks they can compete if they bring in a guy like Malkin and has stuff willing to give up. Who are you looking at? Like, if you just do a quick glance over of the teams around elite. Like, I feel like Pittsburgh is going to trade him out west. Not going to trade him in the east and have to deal with him throughout the playoff. One team I would look at, or I guess two teams, both out west. The the cap right now for one of them would not be an issue. It would be for the other one. But both the L.A. Kings and the Ducks have a lot of prospects. Yeah. So that could be a way that you look. L.A. could take them on right now. They're only at 72 mil, but the Ducks are at 83. So they would definitely have to move some pieces back the other way. But, I mean, L.A. has a lot of picks, too. Does, but does he want to go there, Anaheim or L.A.? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, definitely a different lifestyle than Pittsburgh, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, how about we do this? We 
we helped them figure out their goaltending situation somehow because they botched that this offseason when they had options. But how about we have McDavid and Malkin one too with Drysaddle on a wing? Well, then, yeah, then you could just get rid of all the defensemen and you could just play five forwards for exactly. four lines. Yeah, it would be just perfect. Have everybody play up and then just play keep away at the blue line. <laughs> yeah, like I'm looking at LA. The one thing would have to be, though, if they did send him out there is they have to get Brown and Carter off their books. Like those are two yeah. big hits. But I mean, hey, yeah, what if Jeff I'll Carter comes comment. back out east and plays with Crosby? That might be a, a nice little setup there. Yeah, maybe Calgary or something. They send uh, Goudreau back the other way. That wouldn't be bad either. So, uh, all right, we can spend. I love talking about this shit. We can spend all day talking about Malkin destinations. Um, but all right, so moving on from there, I'm gonna move to Columbus, the hockey hotbed known as Columbus, Ohio. Uh, the Patrick Line experiment, and this isn't Tort's fault, so I will give him credit. But the Patrick Lyon experiment in Columbus lasted all of uh, two and a half games before the first benching? Uh, yes. So what is said here is uh, Patrick Lyon got benched halfway through the second period due to having, did they call it an argument or a disagreement or he was being disrespectful with one of the assistant coaches? He mouthed off to one Th- of the assistants. That's what it was. Okay, that was the wording that they used. So he, ha- he was having a problem with one of the assistant coaches. They did not say which one it was. Um, with that, I mean, I don't blame Torts for doing this. I know Torts already has a bad reputation around the league for benching guys and kind of putting them in when place. When I saw that headline, I was like, oh, Torts. And then I read the details. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's one of those things for line A. I mean, maybe, you know, I don't want to fault the kid. I'm, I'm going to put it like a different way. Maybe in Winnipeg, you can kind of give it back to the coaches a little bit. And maybe yeah, he kind of adjustment. Maybe he kind of crossed the line here that they don't usually have. With it, though, in six games, he has seven points there. Five goals, two assists. Um, I do think the defensive part of it for him is going to be difficult. I do think he was professional about this, and he probably went in and apologized after the game. And I'm hoping that they can move forward for the sake of this is a guy that can legitimately help them. Yeah. That's why I feel like they have to make something go here. Granted, they kept it in a room. They did well. Both they did well, yes. Torts and Line A were like, we handle it, it's over, we're, everybody's good, it's staying in a room, we're not talking anymore about it. So uh, I'm hoping that they can move forward. And, and like you said, with the deal that he has in place, who knows if they're still trying to move him as well. So it, it's definitely a twofer in the sense of a double-edged sword. But, you know, the kid is still young. These things happen. I mean, we saw... Was it Nate McKinnon last year yelling at one of the assistant oh, yeah. coaches on the bench? At, at, at the head coach. At the head coach. So, I mean, these disagreements do happen. And I believe it's me, I, I'm not... Spirit in yeah. my mind. As long as it doesn't cross the line and it doesn't bleed out into the media, like, shit like this happens all the time, especially in practice. It's just that cameras aren't there. Yeah, and I mean, unfortunately with torts, with the reputation of what just happened yeah. with Dubois, everyone sees this kid sitting and instantly... <laughs> It goes a different way. But hopefully, like we said, he can get through this, be a professional about it, and everyone can work to getting somewhere else. And like you said last show when the trade had happened, who knows if they tried dealing him at the deadline as well. So Yeah, I, I you just, don't want to lower your value. Exactly. And quick thought, did you see coming into this year, we always kept talking about Columbus's offense being the weak point on this team. They have the second-worst-ranked defense in a league. They're worse than Detroit right now. Which is not common with the Tortorella coach team. I know. They've given up 50 goals, which is double what Tampa Bay has given up in four more games, but still double. So when I was doing show prep for this, I was just like, holy shit, I didn't realize how bad they've been having a go of it back there. And they... Their offense has been okay, <laughs> so it's completely uh, flip flop. It, but and it's uh, crazy too that I mean they're third in that division. Yeah, and dude, that division is brutal. Like in a sense of like bad. Uh, I'm just very surprised. Like I know we didn't pick uh, neither of us picked Dallas being in the playoffs, but I didn't think they'd be this bad. Nashville, the same thing. Yeah. 
Carolina is going to have to come start snapping out of it sooner or later. But um, staying with Columbus, I know you saw this, but the situation with the offsides, not offsides uh, goal. Um, so basically what happened is, uh, who were they playing again? Uh, they were playing Carolina. Carolina. So Carolina scores a goal. Vinny Trotschek scores a goal. Um, and he was the one who was offside on the play. Yeah, he was <laughs> the one who was offsides. So Columbus challenges, and the refs go to review, and then they come back and they say, good goal, and then Columbus has issued a two-minute delay game penalty for losing the challenge. Mm-hmm. They kill off a minute, what was it, a minute 45 or 15 seconds, one or the other. Yeah, and then they go to the mission. Yep. Then the referees get a call from Toronto saying the call was wrong. And because there's never been a precedent for a good goal being removed from a team after play has started up again, the NHL had to decide, do we set the precedent for that? Or did we just eliminate the rest of the penalty kill for Columbus and tell them about that? And they chose option number two. So basically boiled down to... Uh, a video coordinator in training in Columbus was when he handed over the headset, basically said, and he's supposed to remain quiet according to Colin Campbell. That's a good goal. He's on side. And the referees heard that and thought that was Toronto saying that's a good goal. And that's why the review lasted all of like 12 seconds. Yeah, as I said, the review was very quick. And they called it a good goal. And it was because of this unnamed probably future futurely unemployed oh, video I was going to say unemployed that <laughs> night. <laughs> Just speaking into the mic during an NHL game going, ah, oh, that's onside, that's a good goal. So, And then Columbus loses the game by a goal, which he shouldn't have had on the board to begin with. So I guess just the craziness of the situation, but if you're the NHL, you can't, like, I know there's no precedent for it, but it's such a blatant mistake and you know it's a mistake and you know how the mistake happened that can't you just pull the guys out and go, it's a no goal. We're going to restart the second period with a minute 45 left on the clock. And we're going to go from there and then restart into mission or just go right into the third period and go from there. Like you can't let a team lose two points in a shortened season in a playoff format that we have this year because of a a screw up by a coordinator. Uh, Agreed completely. And the other thing is to listen, if I'm the refs, I want to see every angle of this. So I don't care if someone in the headset is telling me it's a good goal. I want yeah. to see the angles. So I partially put that on them, too. Like, hey, um, yeah, from here he looks onside, but can we see the one from the far side? Because, I mean, he yeah. was clearly off. The the one that the video angle that they show, he is offside. It's not even close. So for them to just do whatever is being told in the headset, I mean, you got to have some sort of integrity here, too, and be like, no, that that's not a good goal. I, I understand you pay my bills, but that's not a good goal. <laughs> so, with it's it, the most incredible situation I've ever seen. Like, I was actually watching the game, and I was like, "How can they call it onside?" And then when they come back from the intermission, and like the play-by-play guy was trying to figure out why it was the penalty kills no more, then explain the situation. I was just like, "What the fuck is going on?" Yeah, it was it was tough to watch, and then. I just, those guys though, right? Like those refs, we've heard like the mic'd up things of when they go to review a goal. Yeah. It's like, hey, uh, hey, Coley, it's Brian here in fucking Columbus. Like you address wherever you're refing the game from. And, you know, they all know these guys. So when you hear a voice that is not of normalcy, like, does it not like ding in your head? Like, hmm, maybe this isn't one of the, hey, hey, can you put Coley on the phone? This is kind of important. <laughs> like, something like that? I don't know. And especially that quick, I would have been like, do you guys have a different angle than what we have right now? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, there has to be a different angle on that. There has to be. So, and that noise in the background is actually Toronto trying to get our attention to say that we should move on to the next topic. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, the, it, it could be the dryer saying, come fold me, but we're going but with that one. The other thing is, Toronto, so... Only because of COVID, the headset from the referee gets taken off and given back to the coordinator guy in a, in a box. And the NHL, the only way they can get their attention the attention at the rink is to yell into the headphones, get, their, get the refs back, get the refs back. There's no other way to stop the game from starting up again. But because the protocol is 
the coordinator has to wipe down a headset because of COVID, he didn't hear any of the screams and the, and the game started up again before he put the headset back on and then he heard them saying that. Isn't that fucking incredible? <laughs> like, oh, come perfect on. Form. Uh, yeah, form is right. It's peak season. <laughs> so, uh, we'll s- wanted to briefly touch on what's going on with COVID around the league. A lot of cancellations, a lot of guys, Sam Coase entered protocol today for the Lightning, so... Now everybody has to look out for if Tampa Bay's games are going to start getting postponed until things clear up, if there is multiple positive tests with the guys. But this really all started with the Devils. Yes. And Buffalo had games postponed and guys test positive after playing the Devils. And the reason why I wanted to highlight the Sabres specifically is the failure of the procedures in place that the league said that they had to prevent things like this from happening, cross-team contamination. So Kyle Palmieri went on a COVID protocol list on Sunday, the day after this uh, Devils played the Sabres. But he had already tested positive before the game. But because they do a double test for positive results, or they send the same test to a different lab to confirm results, the game was allowed to continue. And then after the game, the Sabres are called up and like, hey, so there's like an outbreak on the Devils and you just played them yesterday. You guys need to get tested. And then a handful of their guys tested positive. So then their games got canceled. And it's just all could have been preventable. And I know they've adjusted some of the protocols in place since then because, holy shit, they had to. Um, and there's been other outbreaks uh, around the league. The Wild had an outbreak right around the same time as the Devils, if yeah, they're still, they're still delayed, yep. Yeah, the Devils haven't played since January 31st, now February 13th. Um, so the league built in an extra week or two into the schedule at the end of the year to have makeup games pending if it had any impact on a playoffs picture. But I don't think they anticipated having to make up three weeks' worth of games and somehow already. fit that in before the playoffs. Yeah, they already have to make up three weeks of games, and that's barring if anything happens in the future, too. Yeah, and the Flyers had a guy test. They haven't released the name as of yet. Uh, tested positive and entered COVID protocol yesterday, Friday. So the Rangers have were supposed to play the Devils on Sunday, Valentine's Day. That's been postponed. The next schedule game is against the Flyers on Tuesday. That might be be postponed. And then next week is supposed to be uh, when the Flyers go out to Tahoe to play the Bruins in the outdoor game. And now, because of a potential COVID situation, if they're not able to make it, now the Rangers' schedule gets adjusted to go to Tahoe to play the Bruins in place of the Flyers. So this whole thing is, I mean, the NFL had to deal with it a little bit. Baseball definitely had to deal with it early on in their season with outbreaks and scheduling. But the way the NHL operates, they they just don't have the buffer to have a team not play for three, four weeks make up all those games and end your season on time and start the playoffs like you wanted. Yeah, agreed. That makes life a lot more difficult. And plus, you have the Olympics, who... I don't know. Do you think the Olympics are going to happen this in July? No, I don't. Like, I think this way you can, can bring, bring everybody from around the world together like that. You can bring in... You'd have to do a bubble. And I mean, the only problem is this. Once course, as people get there, you're going to have to quarantine them instantly. Yep. And then you will be able to interject people. But, like, there's going to be no fans there. But, like, th- you can't. You can't have any sort of interaction with anybody. You will be in a bubble. You will go from the Olympic Village to wherever you go, and there will be no intermingling in between. There will be no fucking Olympic sex scandals like they have every year. <laughs> there will not be no con- Nagano trashing of the hotel yeah, room. Yeah, there will be no condom jar out there. Like, <laughs> l- legitimately, you will be in your room. And before where people were able to stay and then go to the closing ceremonies and all that, I don't think that's happening. I think there will be an opening ceremony, and then once is your sport is done or you are complete, you're out of there. Yeah, It, it is just going to be a quick shuffle in and out. That's it. And I mentioned that just because if the Olympics are canceled or postponed, I don't think they would cancel. They probably just push it back. I know it's supposed to be summer Olympics, but they do it in September. Like, is that so much of a big fucking deal? No, I think uh, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, it would impact. Yeah. So the reason why I brought that up is if the NHL doesn't have to worry about getting their season and playoffs done before the Olympics because of NBC's Olympic coverage. 
that might help them out in a situation where, okay, we can still make up these games and get the playoffs done and everything is okay because now we have an extra few weeks to deal with. And the other part, too, at least for the Olympic side of things, if you just push it from July to September, like you said, it gives you that much more of a window for people to get fucking vaccinated. God forbid, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and we'll, we'll start getting to weekend review, but I just wanted to say, has there been any announcements in Massachusetts, well, Boston, about fans going to TD Garden anytime soon? No. And... In Boston, it's like the joke around here of, you know, Massachusetts, because <laughs> everywhere we go, we have to wear masks. Like like I said, you can go to New Hampshire, you don't have to. Everywhere, everyone that's coming here needs to quarantine and or have a test already prepared 72 hours before they enter the state. It's a lot. It's a little excessive here. Granted, I do think it is in good faith in hopes of not spreading this thing. Uh, you hear the new rumors of, you know, going in and out of Florida and this, that, the other thing. And it's like, allegedly this thing was getting better or we thought, but like, holy shit, man. Like, I mean, the numbers are getting better. Well, yeah, you know, Trump left office and so did COVID. So (laughs) it's like one of those things of fuck me, man. Like, I I don't know. I don't know what the vaccination has picked up. They're doing 1.6 1.6 million people on average a day around the country are getting their at least their first dose. So that's helping with the numbers going down. But the reason why I asked is New York is just has been just as religious with the facial coverings. And for good reason, we were hit incredibly hard. And it was like I am legend here for a while. It was like really scary. But they let fans into the Bills home playoff game, 10% of the stadium. And that seemingly went okay. So now they announced indoor dining is back at 25%. Oh, you guys are finally open again. I was about to ask you about that. Yeah, so indoor dining is back 25% uh, starting yesterday. So that helps restaurants. You know, Valentine's Day weekend is nice for the restaurants. Also, at the end of this month, they're going to have 25% capacity for Broadway. So bringing it back shows that way, okay. which, you know, in the normal thought, you go, oh, that's going to bring back tourists, but you can't really have tourists now. Um, but also starting February 23rd, MSG can host game, uh, fans at games for the Rangers and Knicks. 10% capacity, fans need to test negative and provide results 72 hours before they arrive to the game. Masks need to be worn at all times while you're indoors, yada, yada. But fans are going to start coming back in, even at 10%. That's, I know a handful of teams around the league already have fans in the stands at, in some way. But, man, is that going to help the Rangers in terms of, hey, we can take on that salary at the deadline if we need to now? Yeah, it, it helps everything. Yeah, absolutely. But so that's what's going on here. Uh, that's my segue into week in review because Rangers and Bruins play twice this week. I don't know if you wanted to actually follow through on me just kind of continuing my bitch fest about the Rangers and then you chime in with Bruins are doing all right. No, um, my boys rolling again. Um it's been tough that Matt Grizzlick has not been able to get back into the lineup, and then when he does, he instantly gets hurt, and he goes back out again. We've had uh, Connor Clifton step in and do a great job, so we're not missing Grizzly too much, and I think right now there's no point to rush him back because the team is playing so good. Uh, I don't remember the last time we recorded. I think we might have been playing Pittsburgh, so we want, we beat Pittsburgh. Uh, February 1st, we played the Fla- the Capitals. We end up beating Washington in Washington, which I think for us is huge. Uh, Trent Frederick has a huge fight with Tom Wilson, completely changes the outlook of us on that game. We come I'm so up- glad that somebody can fucking just chuck him with Wilson like that. And, and, and I mean, Frederick's not a big kid. He's not a no. heavyweight by any means. He's 6'2", probably 200 pounds, but he, he doesn't give a shit. He's not scared of anybody, and he's going to do it. Um, he reminds me of, obviously, like you said, not as big, but just like his demeanor and his personality when it comes to that stuff. He reminds me of like uh, a young Ryan Reeves. Like he just enjoys his shit out of it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, like that's the funny thing. Like you could tell he likes it, which makes yeah. him a sicko, which I like about the kid. Like I think he might be my favorite player now behind <laughs> Bergie and Marshy. Like this sicko, I like him. You know, he's a freak. Was so, it weird seeing Chara on the caps? Um, yes and no. I mean, it's one of those things where I think at the end of the day, it still reminds people that it's a business. Um, you you know, all the Bruins people after the game, see, we didn't need Chara. We told (laughs) you didn't need Chara. And it's like, all right. Like if we didn't have that fight, we don't win that game. So, um, 
for those who say fighting needs to get out of the sport, uh, watch that and you can completely see a team turn around from stage that. fighting needs to leave. Yeah. Um, we played the Flyers back to back on a Wednesday, Friday. We took both of those games from them. I was actually one of my picks of the week. Bang, bang. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, we had definitely, we had five days off before we played you guys. And I did not get to see the Wednesday game, but I was sleeping before doing snow removal and then another shift, but won that in overtime brad marchand was awful that game outside of his goal I, I watched it the next day on dvr and then last night we were texting back and forth and you were right we definitely came out very slow and i feel like that's one of the things with the bruins where they either show up right at the beginning or they don't and, and you can tell and it's very evident of if we we're going to be a fast-paced team that night or if we're just kind of be play like a slow heavy game yeah, I was like team speed. I mean, you guys picked it up in the second period, but team speed in the first, I was just like the only guy that was noticeable to be able to like compete for loose pucks against the Rangers in the first period was Marshan. Otherwise, there's the Rangers getting a puck, and then you guys just hooking and holding and pulling to you know keep us from getting anywhere. Yeah, it's just that for the last two years, this team has been like that, and uh, I'm not too sure why they think that they can have delayed starts. Uh, it, it, that part of it to me, and don't don't get me wrong, obviously, it's it's a grind. It's a professional sporting event. You know you, you know from playing, you try to show up every day with it. Sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. But for whatever reason, it's always either the first period, they're usually always there for the second and then the third's kind of iffy too. So so it's usually 40 out of 60 minutes we're there. <laughs> <laughs> and who's impressed me? I don't know how he's been for the entire year, but the two games against you guys this week, Jeremy Lozon. Yeah, Lozon, um, he's a good player. The, the one downfall I see in him is he needs to be able to read plays a little bit better when it comes to jumping into plays, especially when he's up there with McAvoy, because usually yeah. Max in the play too. So just kind of read and react as to where he is and what he's doing before you're completely there and we have no one or our closest guys at the top of the dot and they're gonzo. So we just yeah, have to I mean, be... just the physical aspect of it. it was, like, I don't think you should be getting top pair minutes, but in the top five, six role, like, take on that Adam McQuaid style. Yeah, like, no, and, and he does. Um, he he likes to play the body. He's he's one of those physical Frenchies, not one of the soft ones. So he's not scared. I mean, he of it. handled Booch pretty easily last he night. He definitely took care of Buchnevich last night. Um, speaking of last night, we were talking about Frederick and the rough stuff. I mean, him and Lemieux had a fight off the get go, and he was not very happy after that fight. I don't know if they said, "All right, let's square up," and then Lemieux jumped him like his old man would. But Freddie I mean, yeah, was Lemieux not jumped happy. in there quickly and just started throwing rights and. I mean, other than that, unless there was a lot of shit going on before that fight, I didn't see a reason for Frederick to be, like, that preoccupied in the box, screaming over at Lemieux, like, I'm going to kill you. When I was, like, I was like, oh, I thought that was a good fight. And I watched the replay. I'm like, yeah, Lemieux didn't do anything in there. But yeah, when you text me, like... I was like, man, maybe they did agree to square up. And then Lemieux was like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, that every fight you see Lemieux have, it's like that. He, he does not square up. He does not give anyone a chance. That, that's just the way he is. Uh, definitely cut from the same cloth of his old man, just fucking yeah. d doing that. So, I mean, I don't know what the conversation was, but yeah, Frederick was definitely very animated after that. He was, uh, not too thrilled. Bruins actually playing tonight in Long Island. Um, don't know what to expect from this game. If it's anything like the last game, it is going to be a boring three periods of hockey. It's going to be neutral zone trap both ways. Uh, I'm hoping the Bruins can actually have a better showing here especially after how we started last night. I'm hoping we could have a good start tonight and then just kind of go from there. The game Monday against Jersey is postponed. So our next game after that is against New Jersey at home at seven, as long as the devils can get out of a protocol. And then after that would be Philly and Tahoe. If that even happens. So, yeah. If, like I said, if not, it's the Rangers. Yeah. So we're, we're just kind of looking forward here, looking to see as to, what exactly is ahead of us, and we'll go from there. Tuka's been playing great, had an incredible save the other day on Zabanajad. Oh, my God. Yeah, man. that glove save. Yeah, that pass from Kreider was filthy. That finish from Mika was filthy, and the, it was like, that's a hat trick right there. Tic-tac, no goal. Um, And 
not surprised that Halak, who has just utterly dominated us, no matter what team he's on over his career, shut us out. He shut you out on top of it, too. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I, the boys are rolling right now. Uh, don't change a thing. Yet again, we're still um, in t- 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 10 games or whatever. We're 8 out of 10 points. Yeah. Doing okay. Yeah, the Rangers, just to piggyback off of the two games against you guys, we started off really well in the first period, both games, and then I think total we've been outshot thirty-nine to six in the second period for both games, which goes to show to me again, Bruins make adjustments after the first period. It's the first time I think it's the first time we played you guys this year, and both times the Rangers come out, they start off fast, the Bruins go to the locker room, and they just completely reverse course in the second period, and there's no counter to it. So, I know the Bruins, like I said, last night was a veteran playoff team performance. Just, that felt like a playoff game, and it felt like a playoff game the Bruins have been playing since, like, 2006. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Rangers tried the, the tough stuff. Like, Lemieux, obviously, he's more of a pest than a heavyweight. McAvoy, that was cute, trying to go with Chuba last night. Um Puchinevich, not a fighter. I think he's only had one fight in his career. He goes after a tough kid squares up and I give Bruch a lot of credit for that that earns you some brownie points with the guys in the room but also he's just been like that since midway point last year like he challenged Tom Wilson to a fight last year which wouldn't have ended well for him either but like kudos for him for having the balls to do that but the thing for me is if you want to play the hard style game you have to have the guys to play that game and the league has been transitioning away from you know, the goons and the big-time heavyweights and everything for a few years now. And the Rangers are built around talent up front for the most part. But the issue for me is team toughness is different than fighting. And Lindgren is tough as balls. Uh, he missed one shift after getting his fucking face slit open on a hit last night. And there are a couple guys that play a gritty game. But the Rangers do not have team toughness. And that's highlighted by the fact of your boy, Nick Ritchie, skating by Shosturkin after a whistle and elbowing him in the fucking helmet. And nobody does a thing. Shosturkin has to go skate after him and act like he's going to slash him in the head with a stick and then talk shit to him after the next whistle. Nobody does a thing. If the Rangers did that, it, let's say Brendan Lemieux did that to Tuka Rask on Wednesday. Oh, what would be, the response have been? He would have been blanketed instantly. Exactly. Nobody did shit. And I'm not expecting guys like Lafreniere or Kako or Heedle, like guys who just like aren't fighters or haven't really picked up that skill. They just start th- chucking nucks every fucking game. But it's a thing going back to Buchnevich. It's not a – yes, it helps if you win the fight because then it helps your overall team toughness as other teams start respecting you a little bit more with that. But it's about just being there just and getting up. involved. Yeah. And the fact that nobody did a thing. And the rest of the game, nobody did a thing. Like, nobody went after him. And you're talking about lack of leadership with the Rangers. We haven't had a captain since we traded McDonough, which is fine. Like, you want to kind of see who rises to the top. Everybody thought it was going to be Mika to start the year. We still went with all alternate captains. But all the offseason, all we were hearing is how much of a leadership role Trub has been taking on. And I know he already had that scrum, the two minutes for roughing, of Charlie McAvoy. If you want to be a captain for the fucking Rangers, and you're played defense, and your goaltender just got elbowed in the head, even if you're not on the ice, next time you're out there and you see Nick Ritchie, even if it's the end of the shift, you got to send a message. And nothing was done. And to me, that was the most disappointing thing about the last two games against you guys. Even though we lost both of them, I thought we played... Well on Wednesday, I thought we played pretty well last night, even though we came away with a loss. I think it was a good learning experience for a lot of our young guys. But just the lack of veteran leadership slash team toughness is worrisome if you're going to try and model yourself after the Bruins and turn a corner and be a playoff contender. Because like you said, Tampa Bay couldn't get over the hump until they brought in guys that can handle the shit in the bottom six. So that kind of concerns me, and I think that also goes back to coaching as well. And it's not just a David Quinn problem. It was an issue under AV where um, Gabrick was drunk by Dan Carcillo, 
in Philadelphia, and Girardi just stood there and watched it. And after the game, he said, well, I didn't want to take a third-man-in penalty and put our team shorthanded. Like, that's too much the opposite way. And that's been a consistent theme for the last few years. And, like, I don't know what this, the solution is. I don't know if you just bring in... I don't want them to bring in tough guys just to bring in tough guys. And I don't want our f- guys to start fighting, and then they get taken off the ice, and we lose our supposed advantage offensively. But I think I just think that's something that needs to be addressed moving forward, whether it's this year or over the summer, heading into next year. I think that's one area the Rangers can improve upon because they, they look to be okay in goal. They have talent up front, and Ke- Keandre Miller looks like the real deal. So with him, Troop, and Fox, and Lindgren, your top four is pretty okay. So it's just marginal changes in that aspect if we really want to turn the corner here. And now, like, like you said about the toughness factor, obviously you don't want Ke'Andre Miller off the ice, especially yeah. at the point where he's at, where he's transitioning to being a professional, obviously showing that he can make that leap. Lindgren's one of your shutdown guys. True, but like you said, he, he shows very high potential, but then doesn't jump in there. I mean, Lemieux can't be the only guy who does it for you guys, because once he's off the ice, you, you can run a fucking shit show out there. Yeah. So it's like, what is the ultimate? Like, do you call Ottawa just to fucking bring back Michael Haley on a fucking <laughs> just a taxi squad role? Just insert him where needed. Like, I, I just looking at your lineup. I just don't know who's going to be the fucking the guy here. Yeah, I mean, I don't think like the Rangers have said this for a year and a half now because of their connections to your organization. They're trying to model the rebuild and the outlook of the team around the Bruins of the last 10 years. And that's great. And I know you guys had Sean Thornton and you guys had Chara, but you guys didn't really have just a goon. Like, Shawnee could play a little bit, you know? Like, no, you guys he, didn't he just run hands, out yeah. PJ Stock for five minutes a game. So... I think I our think, older teams, too, were just tough consistent. Like, you look at Z... We had McQuaid, who at any point could be out there and do it. We yeah. had Boychuk, wherever he would do it. Gregory Campbell. I was going to say, Gregory Campbell at any point was more than willing. So I think it was just, we had about five or six guys consistently that no matter what, were willing to do it. And I think yeah. that's the biggest thing, is you have to be willing to do it. Because some guys in this league, no matter what, they're never a willing combatant. Like, even when it's time to go, they don't want to. Yeah. And and that's not a good thing. Like you can say whatever you want about Jimmy VC there, but anytime it was go time, he did it. And I mean he fought about five times there. And yeah. it, it was never scared. It was like, all right, well, let's do it then. It was just one of those things. So I do think that that needs to be adjusted and for you guys needs to be quickly. Yeah, and I mean again, it's the trade off of do you want your core talented guys to get take themselves off the ice and it has to be Anthony Botello. Yeah, this is twofold. The first thing is you don't want your talented guys to fight for no reason. Like I think hitting your goaltender like that is the reason. Like not, you don't just square up off a face off and Panarin against somebody because hey, I'm going to send a message. But you look at a guy like Chris Kreider, right? Big boy. He's basically won every fight he's ever had in his career, but he's only fought like four times. He's a strong fucking dude. Mm-hmm. And he just I'm not saying he needs to turn himself into a forcer, but goddamn kid, like every once in a while, you can drop the gloves and get your team going a little bit, especially in that situation from last night. Mm-hmm. So you have that. And again, you look at the Bruins, team toughness. Yes, the guys you just named would be ready and willing to drop the gloves at any time, especially to stick up for a teammate. Unless, you know, that teammate's Mark Savard. Um, <laughs> but... It's also the style of play. You guys had very good offensive teams. Not league-leading offense for most of the run there. But it was just, after the whistle, some scrums. Hard hit, you know, rubbing guys out along the boards. Just the stick checks, cross checks. It was just, it's almost like water torture. Just those little things throughout the course of a game and a season add the fuck up to make your team tough and make other teams go, oh. The Bruins are on a schedule. It's going to be a heavy game. Even if there's no fights in that game, it's going to be a... Nobody looked forward to playing you guys. 
And I think that's the mindset the Rangers need to get into is, yes, we want to be talented offensively, but we want to be a team that when you see us on a schedule, it's like, ugh. And right now, I think teams see us on the schedule and they go, oh, that'll be easy. Not a sense of being a win, but like physicality-wise, it's going to be a nice little break for a team. Oh, yeah, and I mean, even right now, I know we talked about teams of the past, but just looking at our lineup now, Nick Ritchie, Chris Wagner, Trent Frederick up front, those are three guys that are willing to go at any time. And then you have Kevin Miller and Jeremy Lozon on the back end who are there at any time, too. So yeah. I think at any given point, it, it can happen. And I think right now for the Rangers, if I wanted to run through the lineup, guys who would be willing to fight is Kreider, Lemieux, and that's it up front. You know what I mean? I mean, Buchnevich was willing last time, but I'm talking about like guys who can actually handle themselves right now. On the back end, you have Truba who can handle himself, Lingren can handle himself, and then that's it. So maybe four guys, and you name all those four guys, and those guys are, if you have them off the ice for five-plus minutes, hurts you on the ice. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's your downfall is that when you take them off the ice, it hurts you. Yeah, so that's the problem there. And, again, I don't want us turning into the 1998 Rangers where we had Sandy McCarthy and Roman Ender and all these guys in the lineup, and we sucked. I just think it's a mental transition this organization needs to make. And if that requires us moving one talented guy like a Buchnevich, who plays hard, I get it, but he's also going to be RFA, to bring in a guy who might not be as talented, but plays a stronger, harder game for your top six, you might need to do something like that. Agreed. Yeah. So, anyway, we'll go to picks of the week, game of the week, lock of the week. I, I know you probably have two of each. Give it to me. <laughs> Stop harassing me, Benjamin. Uh, so for game of the week, I have next Saturday. I think Vegas and Colorado on Lake Tahoe is going to be insane. Uh, both of those teams, I mean, they play each other even Tuesday this week, which is probably another game of the week. But I just think with the background in Tahoe, it's going to be great. My lock of the week is going to be Tuesday, the Islanders at Buffalo. I think with Buffalo just coming out of a protocol, the Islanders have been playing They'll just go in and shut that down real quick. All right. My lock of the week is Wednesday, February 17th, Toronto at home against the massively struggling, and that's not sarcasm towards you, KC, Ottawa Senators. They just have not had a good start off to the year, and I think Toronto's offense is they, just— They've already beat have, Toronto. Uh, well, I think that's a we'll bad see. pick. We'll see. Um, unless Marion Hose is walking through that door and Danny Alfredson, I don't see it happening again on Wednesday. Um, and then my game of the week, like you said, I just think it's going to be whoever plays the Bruins in Tahoe, (laughs) whether it's the Flyers or the Rangers, whoever plays them, I think it'll be a good game. I do hope if it is the Rangers that just because it's a kind of a blanking on a word here, an event that's supposed to show, oh, it's showcase. It's a showcase event for maybe the casual fan or fans or people that just don't normally watch hockey. I know we just went through some of the rough stuff the Bruins and Rangers have had, but if they do play in Tahoe, I hope the skill gets showcased because I really, and this has been happening the last few years, but we need to transition the sport away from, hey, let's go see a fight to, hey, let's go see a hockey game. Pussy. Hey, I'm talking about growing the sport, man. When it's me, but when it's me and you, I want to see Richie get his ass handed to him. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you got for shout outs? <laughs> uh, so the shout outs I have this week, Sleep. Because I haven't had much of it. Uh, Your boy worked a lot this week. There was so much snow. One of our departments at work was actually quarantined, which means that we kind of ran the show. So we were called upon to respond a lot. We we did what we had to do. But, man, I'm just looking to a good couple of days off with the fam. Uh, Who you got? Uh, Shout out this week uh, is to good old Mama Dukes. Haven't seen her in several. Let's see. When was the last time? going to say July. Carry the one. Yeah, July of last summer. So it's been a while. But picked up a car, drove out to Long Island, uh, picked her up, brought her back out to the city. Uh, She spent the weekend uh, here last weekend, had a good time. So just shout out, getting her her into the city a little bit more. And hopefully once the vaccinations kick in, because she is eligible, um, things can kind of start getting back to normal with uh, some family visitation. 
and and how's my girl Kobe? Right now she is sleeping. So she chewed the zipper off of her travel carrier, which <laughs> I I used to pick her up in. So she's been that's been my way of transporting her as well as what she sleeps in every night because she felt comfortable in it. But she chewed the zipper off of it yesterday. So then now I can't zip it closed to transport her or have her sleep in it. So I had to transition her to that big old mean great uh, cage and put a nice little fluffy pillow in there. And right now she's currently sleeping in there with her head buried in this fluffy cloud-like pillow just passed the fuck out. So that's what she's up to. Daddy's sweet little angel. <laughs> yeah, when she doesn't chew zippers and, you know, pee on rugs. Oh, fatherhood. It's a thing of beauty. I know. <laughs> uh, everybody, thank you for listening as always. Uh, next week we should have a recap of the games in Tahoe if hopefully they're played. And we will probably have another week of Benjamin's misery in New York with the Rangers. <laughs> so as for that, everybody, thank you as always for listening. And we will catch you guys next week for another jam-packed episode. And guys, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Get your girl a card. Always get the card. Maybe some flowers, chalk, whatever you do. A little dinner. Not from, C- not from CVS. Yeah, we, we want the good thing, the good shit. <laughs> but we'll catch you guys next week. Bye-bye. Close your eyes. Make a wish and blow out the candlelight. For tonight is just your night. We're gonna celebrate mm-hmm. all through the night. For the wine, light the fire. Girl, your wish is my command. I submit. To your death